Um, so as we wind down now in 1 Peter chapter 5, um, you will be relieved to hear that Peter ends on a positive note because last Sunday we were looking at our persecuted brotherhood and if persecution is going to come to us, that's um, pretty um, serious stuff, isn't it? And before that, uh, we were looking at the attacks uh, of the devil. Uh, again, you know, uh, heavy stuff. And then before that, uh, we were looking at uh, God uh, giving us grace in the trials of this life. Uh, not easy subjects. Uh, but as Peter comes uh, to his uh, conclusion, uh, let's read verses 10 and 11. Uh, this is the note that he's ending on. Uh, note the positive here, if you pardon the pun. But may the God of all grace... There it is, the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And then, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then verse 12, uh, halfway, testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. What a wonderful end to the letter. The grace of God. And the phrase I want to draw your attention to this evening is the God we have is the God of all grace. I didn't realize that that was a phrase in the Bible here in the book of Peter until I was preparing this sermon. Because I've got a book in uh, my study with that title, The God of All Grace. It's a collection of sermons by Douglas Macmillan. He preached in this pulpit and he filled this pulpit because he was a great big shepherd, wonderful preacher. The God of all grace. And when we think of all the problems that Peter's been writing about, the opposition that the church was about to endure, and maybe the persecution that we will have to suffer, isn't this what will keep us sane? The God who is in control is the God of all grace. Now, we haven't got enough time tonight to look at this all grace. You know, there are so many facets to grace. I'm trying to mull over how to deal with it. Um, I've got a few points here. Grace from start to finish. Uh, that, that's something we could look at, but we're not going to. Well, we are, but not in that way. Grace sufficient to meet our every need. Think of the different situations which are going to face you during this week. You know, there's grace in God uh, to cover every eventuality. Isn't that amazing? We could look at it in that way. And all this comes not in ourselves, but through Jesus Christ. Uh, so let's look at it in this way. The God of all grace. What, what is it? Well, my first point is this. I want to look at the action of God, in other words. So we looked this morning at our responsibilities in terms of the gospel of grace. But Peter here reminds us of what God does. And my first point is this. Grace in the past. Calling grace. Calling grace. Look at verse 10. May the God of all grace who called us. Now that's important. What is that referring to? Here now, I'm a Christian. I've been saved by grace. When did that call come to me? I was called by the Saviour in 1989, going into 1990. 
in time. That's when I was called. But when did God set his love upon me? It wasn't in 1989 that that began. It's way back in eternity. Uh, so we've already looked at this when we started, Peter. But verse 2 of chapter 1, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God chose us in grace. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 9, we are a chosen generation, his own special people. Isn't that amazing? In spite of the difficulties that we are facing, the reason why we are still here is because we've been chosen in eternity, called effectually by the grace of God. It's nothing to do with you or me. It's everything to do with the grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is how Sinclair Ferguson puts it. Now, this is Peter speaking. Peter, he didn't have a degree in theology. He was a fisherman. It's staggering, says Ferguson, to think that these are the words of a Galilean fisherman. Can any good thing come from Galilee? Peter Peter discovers that his Christian experience, beginning in a remote seaside town in Galilee, and indeed every Christian's experience, my Christian experience in Aberystwyth, your Christian experience, wherever that happened, it begins, has its ultimate origins before the dawn of time. In the heart, mind, and heavenly love and purpose of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. In eternity, that's where the grace of God started. Um, I think it's John Stott who said, if we could trace the river of salvation to its source. Do you enjoy uh, trying to follow a river to its source? Um, when I taught A-level geography, I taught rivers. Very interesting subject, rivers. And we studied the Taff. And we had to go all the way to the source of the Taff. I had to take the six formers in my little car all the way to the source of the Taff. So we had to park. Um, well, you got the Taff, Echan, and you got the Taff, Aur, haven't you? Um, I cheated. Um, we parked in Story Arms and we took uh, the source of the Taff, Echan, which is less walking. It starts all the way there. That's where it begins. And then it comes all the way down here to Cardiff. Our salvation started in eternity, far before time, beyond creation's dawn, before the sun and moon and stars were born. Salvation's way for sinners lost and done was counseled forth by God, the three in one. Now, my friend, uh, the Bible often uses this picture. It says life is like a sea. Sometimes the sea is as calm as a mill pond. Is that your life at the moment? Praise God if it is. Often, the sea is rough, like it would be today. And our little lives are compared to a little boat on the sea. How are we going to remain stable? We can't depend on the circumstances of life, can we? Even if it's like a mill pond, the pessimist in me will say, it's not going to be like this for long. Tomorrow will be full of problems if today is problem-free. So where can our hope lie? It cannot depend on circumstances. Do you know what the Bible says 
Uh, this is how the writer to the Hebrews puts it. The hope we have is an anchor of the soul. What do you do with an anchor if you've got an anchor in your boat? You don't keep it in the boat, do you? And the anchor isn't meant to float on the sea, dependent on circumstances. What do you do with an anchor? You cast it into the depth, and the anchor then rests upon the bedrock, and it uh, sticks, as it were, to the bedrock. And the anchor of our souls is not in the boat. It's not in our experience. Thank God. Our standing does not depend on our testimony. Some of you have spectacular stories. Others have a more gradual story. You are not depending on your testimony. The anchor doesn't depend on the circumstances. If things are going badly for us, it doesn't mean God is against us. Our anchor is lodged in the bedrock of God's love in eternity. Praise God. You can be firm when everything around you is shaky. <laughs> um, didn't we sing? We have an anchor. Can you say this? I have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Our love is up and down. His love is constant. Wonderful. So that's the first thing, calling grace. And then my second point it's not just in the past, is it, Grace? The grace that called us saved us. I haven't got to deal with saving grace because the verse isn't talking about that. But saving grace, that's so wonderful. But then what I'm thinking of is this. The grace that called us and has saved us doesn't leave us then to our own devices. Um, John Newton said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And then he goes on to say, Through many dangers. Do you know these words? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's grace, the grace that called and saved, that has brought me safe thus far. And you know how, how far will that grace stretch? You know, how far will grace extend? Listen to Newton. And grace will extend all the way to my home, my heavenly home. I remember asking an elderly pastor. I can't remember. I think it might have been Mr. Lewis in Kemenhengoid. Uh, there was a Mr. Lewis there, wasn't there, in Kemenhengoid. Quite a straight-spoken uh, gentleman, godly man. And I, I dared to ask him, how are you keeping? How are you keeping? And he looked at me and he said, being kept, my son. Being kept. I won't forget that. Being kept. You see, he was right. We don't keep ourselves, do we? In the Christian race, we're being kept. Now, Peter here uh, talks about this. Um, one commentator says he uses a flurry of verbs. Uh, look at verse 10 again. Uh, you know, we had a flurry, didn't we? Just before we came into the building, a flurry of sleets just coming all of a sudden. Well, you've got a flurry of verbs here. This is not verbs of our action, but of God's action. What does he do to keep us, keeping grace? This is my second heading. He perfects, establishes, strengthens, and settles you. Let's just look at each of those in turn. What does it mean to establish? He establishes us, or perfect. Uh, let me get them right. 
perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. Are, are there four words there? Yeah, there are four words there. To perfect. Do you know what the word is here? A better word is he restores. He restores my soul. Uh, in the Greek, it's the same word that is used of mending. Uh, very interesting this. When we're told in the Gospels uh, that Peter and the other fishermen were mending their nets. You remember that's when Jesus calls them? They're mending their nets. It's the same word that Peter uses here. I think that's quite significant. Because Peter, isn't Peter thinking of himself? Peter, hadn't Peter been broken? Hadn't Peter denied his saviour? Hadn't Peter felt that it was all over? That he'd messed it up? He was completely broken. And Jesus didn't leave him there. You know, tender hands, mending Simon Peter. You know, I've got these glasses, and they don't need mending at the moment, but my old glasses, you know, you've got that screw in the glasses on the hinge, and they're so tiny, aren't they, the screws? My hands, they're, they're too clumsy to, to try and fix that screw. And haven't we got clumsy hands when we try to restore one another? Oh, we, we just make a mess of it, don't we? We're too hard sometimes. We're too soft at other times. But listen, Jesus Christ specializes in restoring backslidden Christians. Tender hands. He's delicate. I like that. And then the next word, perfect, that means to restore. Establish. What does this mean? It means to make you stand on your own two feet, to make you stand on your own two feet. Isn't that what a good parent will do? Uh, they won't uh, pamper their child. They will say at one point, look, if you're going to get strong, you must learn to stand up for yourself. And a parent may allow us to go out into the world and put us in uh, a difficult position so that we can stand on our own two feet. And isn't our Father in heaven like that? He, he will put you in situations as you grow in grace where you have to stand on your own two feet. I can look back on my own experience and for the first few months after I was saved, yes, God was keeping me very, very close to himself. But in order for my faith to be strengthened, gradually he was putting me in situations where I had to stand on my own two feet. And then the next word, strengthen. Well, we know what this means. And haven't we learned, oh Lord, I've often tried standing on my own two feet in my own strength and I found that I crumpled. <laughs> and I've come to the place now where I see strong in thy strength, strong in thy strength. When I am weak, then am I strong. H have you got there? Uh, maybe you look at people who were converted around the same time as you can you remember people who were coming to this church, people who were ahead of you in terms of their spiritual walk, but they've gone away from the Lord, and you're thinking, I'm still here? Why am I still standing? I'll tell you why you're still standing, because you're afraid of falling. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. May we continue to stand on our own two feet, not in our own strength, but resting in the strength of the Lord and then establish settle you 
settle, the fourth word, settle. Uh, this is a good word. It means we're standing on a firm foundation. A firm foundation. You know, we're all right. The rock under our feet is Jesus Christ, the rock of ages. And I, I came across this. It's St. Patrick's Prayer. Maybe you can pray this. I'm getting into some of those saints. They were godly men, those early uh, church saints. Um, the roads around King George V Drive is named after a number of them. Get to know them. Here's St. Patrick's prayer. He evangelized Ireland. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's hosts to save me from the snares of devils, from temptations, from everyone who will wish me ill, afar and near, alone and in multitude. That's good. If that's a bit too long for you, <laughs> do you know the hymn, uh, Yield Not to Temptation, the chorus? Ask the Saviour to help you, comfort, strengthen and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Amen. He will carry you through. Have you seen the poem, Footprints in the Sand? And it's about the Lord uh, walking with the Christian. And then the Christian uh, says to the Lord, uh, looking back at this walk across the sand, they can see the footprints, the footprints of the Lord, the good shepherd, the footprints of the believer. And then they say to the Lord, there was a point where there were only one set of footprints. What happened there? And the Lord said, ah, you were so weak then, you couldn't walk by yourself. I was carrying you. You know, I used to think that the shepherds carried their sheep on their shoulders, but they don't carry them on their shoulders. They carry them in their bosoms, close to their hearts. Isn't that true of our good shepherd? He will carry you through. Whatever the situation, trust in him. So calling grace in the past, keeping grace. We are still here because we have been kept. Keeping grace. And then my last point, glorifying grace. Look at verse 10 again. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, and then to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Oh, my friends, grace will lead me home. And do you know what will happen when we get home? Oh, we're no longer going to be strangers. That's how Peter addresses the people who are going to receive his letters. He says, you are uh, resident aliens. You are expats. Uh, you are living in a foreign country. Is not this world just that for us? But one day, we are going to be home. We're, we're not going to be scattered about anymore. We're going to be together 
as a family. Isn't that one of the uh, most frustrating things about our life in this world? Uh, we, we have to say goodbye to people. Uh, we've said goodbye to one couple who've gone to North Wales. And, oh, the, the scattering of the family. It's not easy, is it? But think of being home. The gathering of the family. Uh, family gatherings in this life can be stressful affairs, can't they? But it won't be stressful when we're together in heaven. And I remember going into somebody's house once and I was interested to see the name they put outside the house. Do you know what they called their house? Carpe Diem. That's a strange name for a house. Carpe Diem. Do you know what that means? Is it, I think it's Latin, isn't it? For a time. For a time. In other words, however nice their house may have been, They're only going to be there for a time. Their real house is going to be in heaven. Is it all right if I mention this personal anecdote? A few years ago, I was discouraged, and I was feeling sorry for myself. You know what it's like when you get like that. And I'd been walking in uh, this uh, area, and I'd seen this house being built. And it had taken years to build this house. And it looked as if it was going to be a grand affair. And they had nearly completed the house. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if I lived there? And I was feeling a bit envious of the people that would eventually move into the house. It it just looked wonderful. And you know what? God spoke to me. And the verse that came to me is this. I have gone to prepare a place for you. And it's going to be better than that house. It's going to be a mansion. A mansion. And you know what I said? Wow. Lord, that's amazing. I am having a mansion being built for me. A mansion's being built for you. Isn't it worth going to? And then what else? I'm winding down here because Peter's winding down we'll be vindicated then we're persecuted here even if we're not physically persecuted we're not being appreciated are we as Christians on that day we will be vindicated Um, I used to watch when I was a boy uh, this um, art program called Take Heart Tony Hart was the artist that's why they called it Take Heart heart and he used to do these drawings and at first all you could see were kind of squiggles and lines and strokes and you were just wondering what's he doing here what's he going to come up with and just gradually you began to see a picture unfolding and it wasn't right till the end when he put splashes of color on that you could see a wonderful picture And isn't it going to be like that with the church? At the moment, in the West especially, it seems as if there's a lot of squiggles, (laughs) a lot of black strokes. It looks as if the world is winning. But let me tell you, on that day, the Lord will unveil the final picture and it will be wonderful. Do you know what we will say? Jesus doeth all things well. Jesus doeth all things well. 
and think, oh, I haven't got time, but think of the word glory, glory by Christ Jesus. What is glory? Glory. There's a weight to glory. Glory. Uh, Peter has used the temple as a picture of the church. We are the living temple of Jesus Christ. And on that day, the last stone will be put into place and the house of God will be ready. But do you know what? That's only half of it. What made the temple glorious in the Old Testament? It was the presence of God filling the temple, the Shekinah cloud. And that's what makes heaven, heaven. Have you ever read Joni? Um, not Johnny Wilson now, but Joni. Joni Erickson, um, very disabled Christian lady. And she used her disability to serve the Lord. One wonderful testimony, uh, Joni Erickson. It's worth reading her books. She talked of heaven like this. Listen to this. She uses her disability in the words. I can't wait, she says, to be clothed in righteousness without a trace of sin. I can't wait. I won't be crippled by distractions. This is what Joni says. I won't be crippled by distractions, disabled by insincerity. You know, you feel a hypocrite, don't you, sometimes? Handicapped by a ho-hum, half-heartedness. My heart will join with yours and bubble over with effervescent adoration. Oh, what a good term. We will finally be in full fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirits. For me, this will be the best part of heaven. Oh, what a prospect. What, what's something to look forward to? And do you know what the best part is? Eternal, eternal glory by Christ Jesus. To him be the dominion forever and ever. I'll have a perfect soul. I'll have a perfect body. I'll have my family with me. No more separations. No more sin. No more distractions. And I'll have the lamb himself being all the glory in Emmanuel's land. And I'm going to be there. I'm not going to have to go home. I'm going to be there forever and forever. The last chronicle of Narnia, the last battle, the last paragraph. Uh, the Pevensey children arrive not in Narnia, but in heaven. And this is how Lewis ends. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth had read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And it's not just the Pevensey children who are going to be part of that story, but you and I. My friends, this little time, isn't that how Peter put it? May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, 
a little time. How does one hymnist put it? This fever of a life. It'll only be short. Eternity is beckoning. And one second in eternity will make all the problems of a lifetime disappear in a moment. May, can I ask you, may we all be going to that eternal heaven? Are there some here this evening who are still on the broad road, who are still not in Christ? Oh, come, it's all of grace. Just come, bow the knee to him. Take him as your Lord and Saviour. And if you are in him, you are blessed. Whatever happens to you in this world. Because we are heading to our eternal home. May the God of all grace give us grace for the remainder of our lives. And let us remember the grace that called us, saved us, will keep us, and will bring us home and glorify us forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be.